asking him. I want to talk to you about a passage that I spoke about in 09. 09. Seemed like yesterday. This was uh, nine years ago. Nine years ago. I God woke me up in the night. This last week's been a strange week for me. God woke me up in the night twice. One one uh, on Thursday he woke me up about 2 a.m. and then he, I got up and wrote the sermon down. He just gave me a sermon. He gave me a message. I wrote it down. And I got I was uh, again. He woke me up on Friday early in the morning, and I wrote it down. But this was it. This is Friday morning's wake up call. And take your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verse 62. I don't know why you're here today. I don't know everybody here today. You may never have been here before. But I can tell you with some assurance that God wants you to hear this. For some reason, has had me go to this. Now, I had preached this nine years ago. Normally, I wouldn't probably have considered doing it again. But because he said to do it, I'm going to do it. I have, it's different. I mean, I added to some things. I've, you know, I've grown in nine years too. And so I want to talk to you about verse 62, Jesus' words. Jesus said unto, the, unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. I want to add to that a verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 4. There are a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. There is such a thing as walking worthy of the call that God has placed in us when we trust Christ. Now, if you can walk worthy, it makes sense that you can walk unworthy. Does that make sense to you? You, you, you can't just have it one way. If we're commanded and, and implore and begged to walk worthy of the call, the high call found in Christ Jesus after what he did for us, it makes sense to me that God would want us to walk worthy of that. But it also makes sense because we have free will even after salvation. that You could choose to walk unworthy of that. I do believe that in verse 62 of Luke chapter 9, that is a warning that you and I need to look at. Let me start out with a, with a preface. Every book I ever read, I love to read the preface. I think you shouldn't read a book without reading a preface. The preface is why the author wrote the book, how the author came to writing the book. If you read a book without reading a preface, you miss a massive amount of contextual understanding of why it came about. It'll help you understand the book. And so the preface uh, to this is, salvation cannot be earned by any righteousness or good work that we endeavor to do. No brag, just fact. Remember the old boy you say that? No brag, just fact. Um, you and I, and I just, I see it everywhere. As people, we try to come before God and merit salvation. We somehow or another want to say we've acted right, done right, and there's going to be this kind of you know, my good work, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't, uh, I, you know, I've paid my taxes, or, you know, I've treated my neighbors right, I hear it all, and you know, I've done a lot of bad stuff over here, but the good stuff, hopefully, when I get to heaven, is there's not going to be this, there will not be a scale in heaven of good and bad, because the Bible clearly, clearly, as you can make something clear, and 
Romans 3 and so many other places in scriptures says there is not one good thing in you that would merit salvation. No, not one. Now, how in the world are you going to argue against that? You say, Bill, quit it. God says when it comes to earning your salvation, you get a right to go to heaven. The only way you're going to enter heaven is if you'd be perfect. Jesus said it in Matthew 5:48. Be thou perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, how many of that's over with? So you can't earn it. Romans 4, 5 says, But him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. It's your faith. It's your faith. He made it clear. In, Ro- in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, he says this way, Neither by the blood of bulls, or by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus Christ lived, was crucified, shed his blood, and was resurrected. God's sealing him that of all the people out there that said they were the Messiah, Jesus is the only one because he got resurrected. The resurrection is God's seal upon Jesus Christ. His blood that he shed was enough to save every human being that ever took a breath if they would trust Christ as their Savior, and they could go to heaven because his blood propitiated, covered the sins that people have committed. It, it's You cannot have mercy till you satisfy justice. You cannot have mercy till you satisfy justice. Justice demands payment for wickedness and sin. And by the way, you want that same thing. You have it in you. If your daughter gets viciously raped, mercilessly and viciously raped, you want the perpetrator to suffer some justice. Even the most dovey, lovey liberal wants that. Uh, because there's a strong sense of justice. It's built into us as we're made in the image of God. And so all wrongs must receive punishment for justice to be balanced. And so the, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, satisfied the justice that was all those sins required. And so now Jesus Christ offers the salvation as a free gift. Because it's too expensive for you to pay for by any good works because you can't do any good works to undo your bad works. How many good works does it take to undo one bad work? There's no such thing. The fact is that we're sinners unable to save ourselves. We're guilty of hundreds and yea, thousands of violations, knowingly, wantonly, and willfully. Don't pretend like you're going to somehow stand before God Almighty and He's going to do this. It's not scale. You come under the blood of Jesus Christ for, for your forgiveness. How do you receive it? By faith. Simple childlike faith. I believe Jesus died. I believe he was buried. I believe he rose again the third day for my sins. Would you, and, and you ask him, the Bible says, God be with your mouth. For with the mouth, confession is made of salvation. The heart, man, believeth on us. So with the mouth you confess, with the heart you believe, and you say, Jesus, I believe this, the, the count of what you did. I want you to have my sins forgiven. I want you as my Savior. And somewhere or another, you meet God's criteria of simple childlike faith, and he saves you. He births you, born again, supernatural. But, and and, and maybe, maybe, I'm going to say Baptist here. 
we make this mistake because we emphasize so strongly salvation by grace through faith that sometimes we want to try to downplay the life of the Christian after they get saved. You know what I'm saying about that? In other words, we say, well, saved by grace, once saved, always saved, and consequently, you know, how they live don't make a difference. But that's not what the book says. Now, once you are saved, you are a child of God. That, that's sealed forever by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit and God's Word and so many other things. But now we have an opportunity as children to either walk worthy or unworthy of the calling that has been given to us. A lot of us quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you saved through faith, that not of yourselves the gift of God, not of works, that any man should boast. But we don't quote verse 10 where it says, For it has been given, you've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Now I'm born from above. Now I have the Holy Spirit. Now I really can do some good works. Before I got saved, I couldn't do any good works really to please God. But now I can. And I think I give you all that to give you a context of this verse. Because this is not talking about unsaved people. This is not talking about people who haven't been born again. This verse applies to the born-again Christian who, who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, who has the witness of the Word of God, who has the witness of the Holy Spirit of God, witnessing with your spirit that you're His. And what now you are to make sure happens in your life, because you still have a free will. No man, having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Early in the morning hours, that verse started going through my mind, going through my mind, going through my mind. And with that, the Holy Spirit whispered to me and says, you know, you've looked back. I said, oh. And he said, Bill, you've looked back. I said, oh. You're right, I have. There have been times in my life when I look back at what I got saved from with affection. That'd be like getting married and looking at my old girlfriend. How do you think your wife would react to that? Not well, shouldn't. Because once you got married, you forsook all them other women, amen? Once you came to Jesus and got born again, you forsook all that other stuff, all those other temptations, all those other... You know, the, 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 all the sins. By the way, sin has pleasure. Moses forsook the pleasure of sin for a season. And sometimes in fondness, if you're not careful as a Christian, your mind will go back to those things which God saved you from, which would have sent you to a devil's hell. But you look back at the pleasure they brought you, you look back at the Good times, supposedly, they brought you in the flesh, and you, for a moment, you dwell there, and you meditate about, ooh, and that's looking back. What else would it be but looking back? And if I may say, it insults God Almighty who saved you, and it hurts Him. It hurts Him that you would look back on what He saved you from 
affectionately. You with me on that? It's awful quiet in here. There's either a whole lot of guilt in here or you all sleeping. This looking back, according to James and Fawcett Brown, commentary I looked up, says it's not, it's not an actual return to the world. It is a reluctance to break with it. It is a sentimentality or a romantic attachment to it. Going back to the old girlfriend. I got married. I met Kathy when I was 16. She was 16. I think I was 17. My, my granddaughter just told me that she, up into a while, she met a young man that kind of like she likes. And after they all left, my wife said, you realize that was me. I go, wow. She said, you met me when I was, when you, when I was 16. I said, Brent's only 16. She said, it can happen. I'm not Catholic. It is a, a romantic attachment to those things. Your, listen, your hands are still on the plow. Your hands are still on the plow. You didn't take it, didn't say you took your hands off the plow. It says you look back. You have your hands on the plow. Your intention as a Christian is not to leave the plow that God's given you. Your efforts are still to be with the plow. Your hands are not off of it. But you look back, that is your heart. Your heart leaves the plow and goes back over here to the... for a few moments. Hopefully, only a few moments. You remember a woman, a no-name woman, the Bible identifies as Lot's wife. Remember her? Interesting, we don't know her name. And Jesus, of all the people he could have talked about, he said, remember. He could have said her name, but he didn't. She didn't get the honor of having her name mentioned. Remember. Lot's wife. Get out of Sodom. That Sodom's a wicked place, a place of wickedness, a place eventually going to, because of their wickedness, God had to come and literally destroy them as a group of people. He didn't do that very many times, but the Bible says he did as an example of those who would live ungodly afterwards. And he said, if you live like this, this is what's going to come to you, ultimately. And he, he, the angels eventually got to grab Lot, and he's and his two daughters and his wife, and, un, and, and literally drag them out of the city there, and he takes them out, and he gets them outside the city, and he says, go, go, but whatever you do, don't look back. I, I suppose they heard the fire and brimstone, meteor, it's like meteor coming down upon the city and the, the impact on the earth and the the, and it would have been loud. It would have been like 4th of July, you know. I mean, a boom, 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 boom. It impacted those rocks uh, filled with fire and brimstone hitting that area and destroying that area. And maybe they could even feel the vibration. And they're walking away and walking away. And you know we're curious. I, I often thought I'd have wanted to look back just to see what was happening. But God said, don't look back. 
But I think when Lot's wife looked back, it wasn't just looking back out of curiosity. It was looking back at what Jesus is warning us right here. It was looking back for, with affection. Oh, there's some nice shoe shops back there. Oh, there's a Hobby Lobby back there. Oh, there's a ooh-la-la's back there. How serious did God take it? Pillar of salt. She lost her life. Why? Think about it. It hurt God's feelings. You say, God have feelings? He's got feelings. We're made in His image. He gets angry. He gets sad. He gets grieved. The Bible tests all of that. He gets... And when she looked back, he, he just had saved her. What an insult to a holy God that you'd prefer what was going on in Sodom. What you would prefer what was going on in Hollywood over what God had for you. You know, Salvation, when we get born again, that's just the beginning of it, right? That's just the beginning, right? Just the beginning. So we get saved. We're supposed to grow. Now, the barrels have a new little baby. And it was just a, a month ago or so, he, and he, and he, he would stand there and kind of, you know, and then fall down. Right? Today, he gets in there, stands up, and he goes, he walks like these old people walk. It's a full circle. And so I thought, man, that boys he's got his balance. He's starting to grow. I think, he's, I think that's good, don't you? But what if two years from now he was still taking that and falling back on his diaper? Diaper. Three years from now. Would you be concerned about him? I would, because everybody wants their baby to grow, to mature, to change. Don't you think God wants that for you? Don't you think God wants you to let go of that stuff? Don't you think God wants you to be like Him and not, not be a little bitty baby? Does it seem strange to you when a sixth grader sucking a pacifier? Doesn't that like kind of turn you off a little bit when you see a sixth grader with a pacifier? I've seen it. Not here at the gospel. but God wants you to grow. It's God's intention that you grow enough to eventually He can give you a plow. He can give you a plow. What is a plow? It is an implement in which you can produce something. Now, no farmer grows anything. A farmer only prepares the soil and puts the seed in it, and then God grows it. God's not expecting you to do the miracle. He's expecting you to get your hands on a plow. Now, God has a plow. It's no doubt in my mind God has a plow for every born-again Christian, 
that ever has been saved, no matter what their gifts are, no matter how big their gifts are, how few their gifts are, how many their gifts are, God has a plow. God gave me a plow. Ten years old, he gave me my plow. I didn't want it. I was scared by it. But here I am. How about you? There's no coasting. Because if you're coasting, you took your hands off the plow. But God has a plow for you. And my advice to you would, I think it's a big day. I think it's a big day. Now, Tom Gillespie really is a farmer at heart and a veterinarian on a side, kind of a side job. And he loves farming. His dad was a farmer. And I must not love it too much, I guess. But he loves farming. And, and, but it's a big day. Did you, did you, do you remember the day your dad let you drive the tractor? How old were you? Twelve? Twelve years old. Was that a big day for you? But it was a bigger day for his dad. It was a bigger day for his dad. My son's old enough now to drive it. Was it a John Deere or a Macy Ferguson? or You remember the kind of tractor it was? International. Harvester. Okay, so he gets his tractor, man. It's a, it's that tool, it's a tool to produce. It's valuable. It is needed. Other people are relying on it to do its job, just like your plow. And God has given you this plow, and finally, you know, uh, Mr. Gillespie came to Tom and he said, Son, today's your day. You get to run the plow. You get to, you get, to get up on the tractor, and you get to run it. Woo, doggies, that's a good day. What if Tom said, I, I don't want to do that. I, I won't do that. What would, what would have happened to his dad's heart? Oh, my son don't want to. God's given you a plow, wants you to have a plow because he's got his kingdom in mind. There's something bigger going on around us than ourselves. You with me? There's something bigger than yourself. And God wants to produce something in your life that's so big you can't even put, you can't put your mind around it. But you don't want to, you got to, got to put your hands on the plow. God's got the plow for you. It's a big day when you take it, your John Deere plow. God wants each of you to put your hand on a specific plow God has for you. Like any other responsible job, I believe there's danger involved in it. There is possibility of failure involved in it. There are troubles involved in it. But I think you as a Christian ought to get before God and say, give me my plow. If he hasn't come to you clearly, then you say, give me my plow. No Christian can be happy in Jesus without his plow. The desire for productivity is as deep as the desire for survival. And God wants you to be part of the kingdom, his kingdom of God, and produce something of eternal value. He wants to produce it through you, but can't do it without you. And you're part of the process. He's got a plow for you. And would you put your hands on it? Would you say, I want it. I'm going to take God's plow. Some, I don't mean, don't, do not mean this to hurt your feelings. I'm not thinking of anybody, really, trust me, before God, I'm not thinking of nobody specifically, but some people need to get off the bottle. They need to get off the bottle and grow up.
and I use the bottle advisedly. It causes, why when you, when you, God gives you your plow and you put your hands on it, it gives you spice in life. It causes you to jump out of bed in the morning rather than to want to be a couch potato. It motivates you. It focuses you. It puts a spring in your step. Gives you reason to live, reason to move. Why people get depressed is because they lose their motivation and their purpose. Brother, when you got a purpose and you know God's using you and you know something eternal's coming out of you, you don't have time to get depressed. If you get depressed physically, you, you push yourself out of it because you say, I, I don't have time to be depressed. I am depressed, but I don't have time to be depressed. I got, I got a plow to do. The fields are white under harvest. Isn't that what he said? The second thing is don't look back. First thing is put your hands on the plow. The second thing is don't look back. Now let me see just a second here. 1,001, it's over. This word is in its continual tense. It's a tense of, of, of continuation. It is a looking back. It is a gazing back. It, 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 put your hands on the plow and don't gaze back. Don't look back. Don't keep looking back. You may look back and, and repent of it and put your, put your focus on where it ought to go. I personally think probably everyone commits a sin of looking back at time from time to time. And and in, in, a, in, in, in an affectionate way. And so when you do that, you repent and go on. But, but, but we're definitely not to have our lives spent gazing back. Listen to me. If the Beatles are your problem, when, when, I, when I got saved, I had the Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones. Uh, I had a, a Gibson guitar that sold on the road show for over $25,000. My wife asked me the, the golden question, why didn't you keep that? I bought it for 300 bucks. It sold on the road show for 25000 Not my exact guitar, but the same model and everything. I said, because I had to burn my plow, the world's plow. I had to burn the bridges. I had to burn those things which would want me to gaze back. I got rid of the Beatle albums. My, some of the Beatle albums I had sold sell for thousands and thousands of dollars. We got rid of them. We destroyed them. All those tapes and eight tracks, you young people right now, the millennials have no idea what I'm talking about. The eight tracks and the cassettes, they don't even know cassettes hardly. CDs are like, what's, what, what's CD? You have to get rid of all that stuff, man. You got to burn your bridges. You got to burn it or it'll come back on you. And you'll find yourself gazing at it, thinking about it, meditating on it. And God says, blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure he says it like that. He says, don't do it. It's hurting my feelings. When I got married, um, I have, since I've gotten married, I've been married 48 years. Right, Kathy? 47 years worth I can say before you and these people, I've never called or contacted Judy Granning.
I've never called or contacted Linda Montana. I've never called or contacted Linda Robinson. I've never called or I still know their names. And I still have a picture of them when they were 16. But boy, I bet that's changed. Brother, this is easy to gaze back. It's easy to gaze back on the old stuff. You got to quit it, man. You got to you got to shore yourself up. Put your hands on your plow. Don't look back. By the way, Lot's wife did not go back. She just looked back. And then lastly, Jesus says a very demeaning comment. This is it was a very demeaning comment at the end of this verse. If you Though your hands still may be on your plow, your affection's back there. You are not fit for the kingdom of God. Whoa. You're not even fit. The word fit means worthy or appropriate. The only thing, I, you know, my wife likes to go to old mansions. So we've been to the John Ringling Mansion up the road here. $15 million renovation. It's just like when John Ringling built it. New gold, new everything. $15 million bucks. We got so much money in the United States, we take these old houses and throw $15 million in it to do gold leaf and everything so they'll look the same. I told when I looked at it, I said, we just got too much money. John Ringling's home's been restored. George Vanderbilt up in North Carolina, that old house has been restored. Um, Henry Flagler Mansion in St. Augustine, been there. Uh, I've been to the Hearst Castle in California, right on the coast overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Mamma mia. All of those places are phenomenally extravagant. All of those places are extremely plush. They're all built and were built with the finest of craftsmen at the time they were built. The finest of materials available. All of those places I mentioned took so many years. In fact, Hearst never finished his house. 26 years in the building, never finished it. All demanded the best of the best, but guess what they are today? Museums. They are obsolete. They're unfit to live in. They're white elephants. Wiring shot, archaic. The plumbing shot, archaic. They're cold. They don't have no AC. Imagine no AC. They have no heat. They're stone, cold. Nobody wants to live in them. Eventually, the people that owned them gave them to the state and said, Here, take it. $100 million place, property, and beauty. Take it because we can't even maintain this old. White elephant. Aren't you glad that your mansion in heaven's not that way? Your mansion in heaven just gets better with time. Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come and receive you unto myself that where you where I am, there ye may be also. 
And if that's true, do you believe that to be true? If that's true, and it is true, then these people who built these mansions because they were putting their eggs in this basket lost it all. And even today, if they came back, they'd be disappointed in what they did. They say, the, 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 the house built out by, by Pulte is better than these mansions. Better bed, better air conditioning, better control, better this, better that, better all that. But God's stuff's worthy of your sacrifice. Isn't that what he's saying to us this morning? He says, look, put your hands on the plow that I give you. Don't look back. Don't do it. And if you do, repent and keep looking where I'm Because the kingdom of heaven that you are working for is worthy of your sacrifice. It's worthy of anything you may give up on this old world. Because everything you give up in this old world, you can't keep anyway. And will become obsolete. Jesus said it this way, and I quit. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Right now at my house, there may be a U-Haul van taking all the little things that I have gathered together away. Or there may be the fire department out there spraying the foundation. And all of my life's accumulation is gone. But by the grace of God, at 18 years old, I saw this. And I said, there's something I can do for God that will never, ever be lost. How about you? You say, Brother Bill, I've wandered. I've, I, you know, Man, we got so many plows. We got the Sunday school plow. We got the bus ministry plow. We got the door-to-door plow. We got the, we, we've got the nursing home plow. We've got the... Um, uh, Vacation Bible School plow. We've got the, name something. We've got 20 some odd different ministries, 20 plows, different kinds of things. You've you got your gospel track plow. Use it, Friday. Use it. Use it. Man, don't have Jesus say when he sees you, you weren't fit. You weren't fit. Father, help us. I pray in the name above every name to see this. These young people in this room, ooh, they can start early, grab the plow God's given them and go, and not look back. Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.